All right, Mark chapter 8. Jesus, in his common frustration with his disciples, says, Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? He has just spoken a parable, and his disciples, uh, dunces that they were, and we have no right to judge them, because we are too, did not understand it. They didn't understand what he was doing, and he says, Hey, you have eyes, look, you have ears, listen. He's not talking about physical eyes and ears. He's talking about spiritual perception. Amen? So he's kind and gentle, of course, all the time, but he's commonly frustrated with their lack of understanding. So Jesus says, you have ears, but you're not hearing. So I'm four weeks in now on talking to you about how to hear in the Spirit, how to hear the Holy Spirit, the voice of God. And I don't mean hear an audible voice. I mean how to know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you in your heart and mind. So you can follow him in the circumstances and situations of your life. How to be in a living relationship with the Lord and not just dead religion. Amen? Four weeks ago and three weeks ago, I just tried to warm you up to the understanding that you can know Jesus, uh, not just his word, but you can know the man. And you can know not just church and activity and religion, but you can know God. Last week, I talked to you about how to read your Bible and how to pray in a two-way living conversation with God, how to develop sacred routine and how that helps us connect with God so much easier and quicker. So if you weren't here last week, you can go online and listen to that if you wish. Today I want to continue. How does God speak to us and how can we tune our ears to listen? I've used this example many times, but our hearts have to be tuned into God like a radio or a cell phone has to receive the signal. This room right now is full of every radio station in this valley and every cell phone call that's going on in the valley right now is in this room. But we have to have the right tune to the right frequency to pick it up. Hopefully you're not on your phone at the moment. But uh, we're not tuned into those things. We're trying to tune into the Holy Spirit of God. He's everywhere all the time, speaking all the time, active, moving, living. In Him we live and move and have our being. And we ought to be tuned in to what he is saying and doing all the time. But it's not quite that easy. So here we are. We're learning about it. So Job 33, 14 says, God does speak now one way and now another. Though man may not perceive it, God is speaking all the time. It's us that doesn't pick up on it. So I want you to learn how to tune in your tuner to pick up the frequency of heaven. Because he's, he's on his phone calling you. He is broadcasting to the universe. If you will just tune in your radio that's in here. Next scripture is Matthew 13. This is Jesus speaking again about people who are unbelieving. He said, Their hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Jesus is not talking about physical eyes and ears because the people who are rejecting him are not blind and deaf, but they are blind and deaf spiritually. The people who refuse Jesus, he says, your hearts are hard, your ears are hard of hearing, and your eyes are closed. But then he says to his disciples, that's us, blessed are your ears and your eyes, for you see and hear, supposedly. You're supposed to. See and hear what the Holy Spirit is doing, what God is speaking, what Jesus is active doing, so we can join with Him. Amen? 
Yes, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Isaiah in chapter 50 says how that was in his life. He says, he awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. Isaiah says, every morning God speaks to me. I hear his voice in my heart as I wake up and I do what he says to do. I wish I could say that I had never rebelled or turned away, but I, sometimes I get it right. Once in a while, maybe. All right, so I've quoted you Job 33, 14, four weeks in a row now. God says, he, God does speak one, now one way and now another, though man may not perceive it. But let's finish the passage now and see how God speaks. In a dream, in a vision of the night, When deep sleep falls on men as they slumber in their beds, God may speak in their ears and terrify them with warnings to turn man from wrongdoing and keep him from pride, to preserve his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. Job 33, 14 says, God is speaking all the time. The next verse says, in your dreams. And you don't pick up on it. I want to talk to you about dreams. This morning, Abraham saw God in a dream. Abimelech, who was a Philistine king, saw God in a dream. When he took Sarah as a wife, uh, God comes to him in the night and says, I know that you have integrity in your heart, but that wife you just took into your harem is a married woman, and I will kill you if you touch her. (laughs) A pagan king hears from God in a dream in the middle of the night. Jacob has three dreams that are listed in Scripture. He sees In the night as he's asleep, he sees the stairway with the angels going up and down between heaven and earth. Later on, when he's with his father-in-law, he sees a dream of sheep and goats breeding, and he uses what he saw in the dream to steal all of the good sheep and goats from his father-in-law through a selective breeding process. Uh, Later, as a very old man, when Joseph has been discovered and he's been invited to Egypt, God appears to Jacob in a dream and says, I want you to go to Egypt. Your descendants will stay there for a long time, but I will bring them back into the land of your fathers. Uh, Laban, who's Jacob's father-in-law, sees God in a dream. God appears to him. He's on his way to kill Jacob because he's stolen all his sheep and goats. And God says, "Uh, don't touch him. Don't even speak to him. He's my man. Joseph has at least two different dreams as a teenager, 16 or 17 years old. He sees in a dream the sun and the moon and the stars bow down to him. And then he sees another dream of his family, his mother and father and brothers, shocking up grain at harvest, putting it in sheaves. And his brothers and his mother and his father, their sheaf bows down to his sheaf. And being the stupid teenager that he was, he tells his brothers this, and they get really angry. Even his dad doesn't like it. He rebukes him. He says, do you think I'm going to bow down to you, son? But it says, but, it's, but Jacob pondered this in his heart. I just want to point out that when Joseph comes with his dream to his brothers, they get angry. If it was pointless, it wouldn't make them angry. They knew it had meaning. They did not have to have it interpreted to them, and no one had to tell them that a dream was a message from God. They just knew it. Mm. I see the head nods. So Joseph 
his brothers sell him into slavery. He goes to prison in Egypt, and then he's in prison with the Pharaoh's butler and baker who have been uh, gotten on the bad side of Pharaoh, and they each on the same night have a dream and tell it to Joseph, and Joseph interprets it. To one, he says that your dream means you're going to be promoted back to your position. And the other one, he says you're going to lose your head in three days, and that's exactly what happened. Their dreams were God telling them their future. Um, then Pharaoh has two dreams that meant the same thing, but he is very disturbed by them, and no one can interpret them except that his butler or baker, I forget which one it was, the butler, I think, um, says, hey, when I was in prison, there was a prisoner there that interpreted my dream for me, and it was exactly accurate. Maybe we should bring him up from the dungeon, and they do. They bring Joseph up from the dungeon. It specifically says he has to shower and shave first. He's probably pretty shaggy, having lived in the dungeon, uh, and he appears before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him his dream, and Joseph interprets it. He's like, yep, that's a message from God. God has showing Pharaoh the next 14 years of his reign and specifically the famine and the weather and the economics of of what was going to happen and that's how Joseph gets promoted to be vice pharaoh of Egypt for the rest of his life. He's in charge. In Judges 7 is the story of Gideon. Gideon is the coward who God picked to lead his army and God says, I want you to lead my army. And Gideon says, I'm not sure I want to do that, God. And God says, well, you're going to. And Gideon fleeces him. When you fleece somebody, it means to test them. And it comes from this Bible story where Gideon says, all right, God, I'm going to put this lamb's wool out here on the ground. And I want you to do something that's physically impossible. I want the grass to have dew on it and the fleece to be dry. And so the next morning he wakes up and the grass has dew, but the fleece is dry, which is not possible. And, the, and that isn't enough for Gideon. He's still scared. So he says, all right, God, tomorrow morning I want the fleece to be wet and the grass to be dry. And the next morning the grass is bone dry, but he can wring water out of the fleece. Okay, God, okay. So then God tricked Gideon even more, and, and he's going to fight thousands of Midianites. He says, Gideon, your army is too big. You're going to take 300 men. 300 against you know, like 10,000 or something. It was, it was massive numbers. God says, yeah, I want, this, I want everybody to know this is my victory and not yours. So Gideon picks his 300, and he's still scared. So in the middle of the night, this is where we're at uh, Judges chapter 7, in the middle of the night, Gideon sneaks up in the dark to the edge of the Midianite tent camp to listen to what they're saying, and he hears a man has had a dream. The man, one Midianite man is telling another Midianite man, not knowing that Gideon is back there in the dark behind the tree listening, this guy says, I had a dream that a loaf of bread rolled down the hill into our camp of tents and smashed our tents. And the other guy says, it's Gideon, we're all doomed. And in the dark, Gideon's like, yes. And he runs back, he gets his army and they attack and they win. A loaf of bread? God speaks in weird ways. I just want to point out, the man who had the dream the man who listened to the dream, and Gideon, none of them had to be told that it meant something. They all knew it meant something, and they all knew how to interpret it. They didn't have to be convinced, well, is that God or, or not? They knew it was. Solomon, when he first becomes king, gets visited by God in a dream in the night. Nebuchadnezzar has two different dreams listed in Scripture. One is God telling him of the future of his empire, and one is God judging him telling him, I'm going to strike you mad and you're going to think you're a cow for seven years and crawl around on your hands and feet or hands and knees and eat grass. 
both of those dreams Daniel has to interpret. The first dream, which is really wild, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and he goes to all of his astrologers and wise men and soothsayers and he says, I want you to tell me, uh, interpret the dream I had because it's very much disturbed me. And they said, all right, king, tell us the dream and we will we'll tell you what it means. And he says, nope, you're going to tell me what I dreamed. And then you're going to tell me what it means because I know you're all a bunch of crooks. I'll tell you my dream and you'll just tell me anything. I want to know that you know you're going to tell me what I dreamed. And they're all, nobody alive can do that. Daniel hears that he, he's in the group of wise men. He and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're all in that group that's going to die if somebody doesn't tell, them his, tell the king his dream. So he goes to the king and asks for permission to fast and pray for a few days. He and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fast for three or four days. And Daniel has the exact same dream. Not knowing what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed, God gives him the same dream. And so he goes to Nebuchadnezzar and tells him not only what it means, but he tells him the dream first. This is what you dreamed, king. And here's what it means. This is God showing you the future. And it's actually the future of the next 800 years that God was showing him. It says Nebuchadnezzar got off his throne and fell on his face in front of Daniel. This is the emperor of the world. Falls on his face in front of Daniel. The wise men who came to visit Jesus when he was born were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. Joseph, Mary's husband, Jesus' earthly stepfather, has four different dreams around the birth of Jesus, telling him what to do regarding Mary and Jesus and Egypt and Herod and all of that. Peter, on the roof, in the book of Acts, he's on the roof. It says he went into a trance. That's the Bible word. That's a waking dream. And where he saw the animals lower down on the sheet. Paul had his vision on the road to Damascus, which is not really a dream, but he was awake and conscious. But it racks lists two different dreams where God gave Paul instructions in what to do. And then Paul uses the word trance. He said, I went into a trance as I was worshiping in the temple. There's lots of Bible characters that have dreams from God. Everybody takes it for granted. Nobody questions it. Everybody assumes that These are warnings or correction or teaching or guidance from God. And then we come to Acts chapter 2. Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, quoting from Joel chapter 2. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Why are the young men seeing visions and the old men dreaming dreams? Because the old men are napping more often. All the guys said, old guys said, amen. Yes. When the Holy Spirit is poured out in the new covenant, what does he do? He brings dreams and visions. In the Old Testament, did God say, I speak through dreams? Come on, I just read it to you in Job. Yes, it's also in Ezekiel and Isaiah. In the new covenant that we are in, in Christ, did we receive the Holy Spirit? And what does the Holy Spirit bring? Visions and dreams and prophecy. Did the righteous Old Testament characters receive instruction and correction and warning from God in their sleep? Yes. Do New Testament believers receive instruction and direction from the Holy Spirit in dreams? Yes. So, are we a New Testament church? Yes. Are we all about Jesus? Yes. Do we have the Holy Spirit? Yes. 
Do we live for this book? Yes. So you should expect to hear from God in your sleep. I have not departed from Scripture in any way. It's all Bible. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. You should expect visitation from God occasionally in your sleep. There's no biblical reason to be skeptical other than the fallacy and pride of Western logic that is generally just ignorant about spiritual activity. For 20 years, we, meaning the Western church, the world outside of the Middle East, has been hearing reports of Muslims meeting Jesus in their sleep, in their dreams. He comes to them and says, I'm Jesus, I am the Son of God, Muhammad is not the prophet, Allah is not God, my Father is God, and they wake up born again. And they reject Islam, they confess Christ, the women get acid thrown in their face, or they get raped by their brother, or they get killed by their father. These people pay a terrible price because of a dream. And nobody that hears these reports questions, well, I'm not really sure if, that, if we can put our faith in a dream. It's so obvious their lives completely change from something they dreamed. They met the real, alive Jesus Christ while they were asleep because it totally changes everything about their world. These reports are coming for at least 20 years. I've been aware of them. I don't know, maybe probably longer, but from very diverse denominational and doctrinal backgrounds, mission groups from the Baptists and the Anglicans and Bethel people and Campus Crusade for Christ. Very diverse people who would argue about most doctrinal things. Say, our missions groups in the Middle East continue to get these testimonies of Muslims meeting Jesus in their dream. I don't know how many of you have already seen it, but there was a a video released just a week and a half ago of a Yazidi man in a refugee camp in northern Iraq uh, who was interviewed through a translator The Yazidis, some of them are Christian, but not all of them, but they live in northern Iraq. They were the group that was particularly brutalized by ISIS. This particular Yazidi man said, Jesus appeared to me, and he set me free from our traditional religion, and I serve Christ. Jesus appeared to me, and he's now a changed man. He's rejected his tribal religion, and he's fallen Christ, and that was before ISIS came. So while ISIS is ruling their territory, because he spoke the name of Jesus... They wanted, tried to kill him. He said they, threw, they wanted to stone me with bricks, but the bricks wouldn't hurt me. He didn't, this is through a translator. I don't know what that meant, but it didn't kill him. He said they wouldn't hurt me. So they doused him with 20 liters of diesel and lit it on fire. And he said, and I didn't burn. He said, Jesus has appeared to me twice. And the translator tries to get the man to um, tell him what Jesus said. He said, no, it's too personal. It's just for me. It's just me and Jesus. I won't tell you. When, when people like that tell, I've seen Jesus, or this miracle happened, like, oh yeah, that's great. But if somebody in this room, in La Grande, Oregon, says, I had a dream, well, I don't think that happens in La Grande, that only happens in the third world. Only missionaries have stories like that. Can somebody that I know, can they say, Jesus appeared to me? 
American evangelicals don't see things like that. We've got our brains. <laughs> somebody got it. Okay, so I know somebody needs me to say this. It should go without saying, but nothing supersedes this book. Absolutely nothing ever can contradict the established Word of God. Nothing. Nobody's prophecy, nobody's dream, nobody's idea. Nothing. None of us needs a dream or a vision or an exciting experience of any kind to put our faith in Jesus Christ because we have the Word of God. Amen. But the kingdom of heaven is real. And spiritual activity is real, and the Holy Spirit is real, and you're supposed to be filled with him, so you ought to be hearing from him. And Acts chapter 2 says, when he comes upon you, when God pours out his Holy Spirit, you will dream. You will see visions. You will prophesy. We should expect it if we're real New Testament Christians, supposedly. Somebody's still like, Mitch, this is super sketchy. This is really thin ice. We're supposed to take action or put our faith that somebody had a dream or a vision, I'm just going to stick to the Word of God. I'm going to stick to the Bible. Well, amen, stick to the Bible. And yes, there are crazy people out there who say they've had a vision or a spiritual experience, and they're nuts. But there's a lot of people preaching out of this book who are nuts too. I mean, there are authors and preachers and whole denominations that play doctrinal Jenga with this thing. Jing is the, you know, the woodblock game where we're going to take out this, we're going to take out this one, we're going to take out this one, we're going to stack it in to get, to get this tower like this. Hey, look, I have perfect doctrine. Oh, there are crazy people who do sketchy stuff with this. So yes, there's crazy people who do sketchy stuff with the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't mean either one of them is not true. Some of the great preachers and church leaders of history who did not in any way depart from the word, like D.L. Moody and William Booth and Leonard Ravenhill and David Wilkerson and John Bevere. They are men of vision and dreams, dramatic visions and dreams. It didn't mean that they departed from the word of God, but they heard from the Holy Spirit. Hello? Like the Berean church in Acts, they heard what Paul preached and they went to the word of God to see if it was actually true. We're commanded to judge anyone's prophecy, and we can judge your dreams too. Paul's ministry team trusted his dreams so much they made decisions by them. Acts 16, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. They have a mission team, and they have a trip planned. And Paul has a dream where he sees a man from an area they did not plan to go to saying in his dream, come and minister over here. I don't know how Paul knew he was Macedonian, probably his language, maybe his clothing that he saw in the dream. He just knew it was a Macedonian, which is just north of Greece. And so the whole team changes direction overnight because they trust Paul's dream. On that trip, when they, when they go to Macedonia, that's where they end up in Philippi. That's where Paul and Silas end up in jail. And they're praising the Lord, and the earthquake happens that not just, I mean, it's, it wasn't a natural earthquake, because natural earthquakes can maybe knock the doors off the hinges, but they don't make handcuffs fall off. Everybody's handcuffs fall off. Paul and Silas's worship was so attractive, all the other prisoners stayed with Paul and Silas rather than run out of the jail. We're not leaving the presence of God, it's right here. And all the jailer and all the prisoners get set free, and 
born again in Christ. So if Paul had not made his decision based on his dream, we would have missed Philippi, we would have missed the book of Philippians, which is the happiest book in the New Testament. If you want to get happy, read Philippians. Other than the Gospels and Revelation, Philippians is my favorite book in the New Testament. It, Paul is full of joy when he was writing that book. Um, that's also when he went to Thessalonica and Berea also on that trip. All because of a dream. They made a decision to change direction. Numbers 11. God is speaking. Then he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision, and I speak to him in a dream. In the Old Testament, God says, if, if the man is a prophet, I will speak to him in a dream. The New Testament says, God says, I wish you all would prophesy. So how many of you qualify for dreams from God? All. Everybody. Yeah. Spiritual dreams from the Holy Spirit are for every New Testament believer. So I have heard that some of you don't dream. At night, I mean, when you're asleep. You don't, either you don't dream or you don't remember that you did. I don't identify with that. I dream every night. Probably two or three different dreams. Hollywood movie kind of vividity. Strong, memorable dreams. Once in a very real while, I wake up like, I don't remember having a dream. But I can tell you what I dreamed this morning, like from 3 to 6. I can tell you what I dreamed yesterday morning. I remember my dreams later in the morning rather than earlier at night. Uh, how many of you would say, I dream pretty much any night, I can, and I either remember that I dreamed or I remember what I dreamed? How many of you don't dream at all, or at least you don't remember that you did? Now, I'm not here to say you're spiritually blind and deaf, okay? <laughs> all right, you're not missing out uh, on the Holy Spirit, but, but uh, if you ask, he can, he can turn that on for you. I have a lot of dreams, and I just want to start with saying this, most of my dreams are random nonsense. Let me say it again. Most of my dreams are random nonsense. Once again, most of my dreams are random nonsense. I do not put faith, I do not put stock in what I dream most of the time. I don't make decisions. I'm not irrational. I don't respond to what I dreamed in fear or emotion or excitement. And I'm not stupid. But I do have recurring theme dreams, the same ones that everybody does, like I'm being chased, and I can't see who's chasing me, but I'm running. How many of you have that one? Psychologists have identified recurring dream themes, and they're, they are, they're across language and culture and time. There's something in the spirit of humanity. I, I think it does mean something spiritually. I don't know what. I'm not here to tell you more than I understand, I, or claim that I understand more than I do. But we all have these, those of us who dream, have these recurring theme dreams like we're being chased by something, or uh, uh, more often now, I'm looking for something that I can't find. And people are watching me, and I need to hurry, and I can't find what I'm looking for, and everybody's like, come on, Mitch, get it together. And maybe that's just my failure complex uh, coming out psychologically in my dreams. I don't know. But I'm running from something or I'm looking for something I can't find. And, and repeatedly I have a dream where I'm trying to move and I can't. I'm like I'm wearing a 500-pound backpack trying to run through the deep end of a swimming pool. And I can't move forward. I don't know. I have these... Um, recurring dreams. And again, I don't put any stock in those. I think they, since they are things that seem to be universal, 
I think they do have meaning, but I don't know what it is, and I don't take action based on even 99% of my dreams. I just throw them away because they don't make any sense. It's random people, some of whom I know and some I don't, and locations that don't make any sense, and, and I don't try to put it into any meaning. I don't try to sort it out or interpret it or, or anything, but I've woke up angry at Sarah for what she did to me, to me in my dream. One day, Sarah didn't talk to me for a full day from what I did in her dream. Tim Hawkins has a little skit about that, his wife being angry, his wife being angry at him from what he did in the dream. But yeah, Sarah's like, I, I really hate you right now. And I'm like, what did I do? I'm not going to tell you. Uh, she never did tell me. She never would tell me. She was really mad. I was like, I know this is irrational, but I feel it. We feel these things because in the dream, they're real. Yeah? Y'all are laughing because maybe it's happened to you too, huh? Yeah. So, let me say it again. I don't think I have some red phone hotline to God and all of my dreams are spiritual and God is talking to me every night. I'm not here to claim that at all. I dream pretty much every night and I have just a handful of, of dreams that I think were significant and important enough that I wrote them down. Um, but I, I've told you some before, but last, last September I told you about a, a man that appeared to me in a dream that I think was an angel the only time I ever think I've seen that, the setting was completely white. There was no context to the setting at all. A, the most beautiful, handsome, powerful, confident, glorious man I've ever seen in my life. This nine-foot-tall Hispanic-looking man came in front of me, and he puts his finger in my face, and he says, Jesus trusts you some. And the sum was just perfect, because... It was, uh, it was a rebuke and an encouragement at the same time. And it, it just, it, I cannot tell you how excited that made me. Um, if it had been Jesus thinks you're great and he's your biggest fan, then I would have known that was my own ego coming through. Uh, and if Jesus thinks you're a failure and a loser and you're the worst pastor ever, um, you know, well, that probably wouldn't have been accurate either. But you know, this guy puts his finger in my face and he says, Jesus trusts you some. And then he had a bullwhip. And he whipped me in the face. You can go online and listen to this, my sermon about angels from back in September, if you want to go to our website and listen. But it was like in a movie where things get so slow-mo that you can see the bullets flying in the air. I could watch the whip coming toward my face. And as it got real close, I noticed on the end of it was a marker, like a Sharpie, a black marker. And he whipped me, and it, and it marked my forehead. And that was it. That was the dream. That was over. And that's from Ezekiel, where God gives an angel a pen and says, go and mark the forehead of every person who sighs and cries over the wickedness of the city who's faithful to me. I didn't even know that was scripture until months after my dream. It wasn't in, it wasn't in my head when I dreamed that. So it doesn't perfectly match scripture, but it corroborates it. Do you see? It's, it's biblical. Um, I've told you, uh, two weeks ago, about or three weeks ago, about my dream of walking through the city with Jesus, and it wasn't an appearance of Jesus. I'm I'm not on any claim or level of saying I've seen the Lord, like Paul or the Yazidi man. I just had a dream about Jesus. That's that's it. I haven't seen Christ in in any way. But Jesus and I walked through the city, and it was the holy city. It was it was His city, but there was a black cloud of wickedness coming. And nobody except a handful of people was getting ready. Everybody was drunk on the streets, passed out drunk with distractions of this world and life. And, and Jesus had a very small army that was getting ready up on the wall of the city, but very small compared to the thousands of people in the street who were just partying. 
and not getting ready. You can go and hear that online if you want. But I've told you before about my, my dream of uh, the helmet. And for those of you who weren't around, I'll just keep it really brief. But in my dream, there was a couple, a man and a woman, who wanted to kill a man. And their weapon that they were going to use was a helmet. It looked like a full-face motorcycle helmet, but it was shaped like a skull and it was alive. It was, full, it was emanating evil. It was alive with the power of hell. This helmet was demonic. It was so, so wicked. And this, the man they wanted to kill came up the stairs, and each of them on either side of the stairs with their hand on the helmet, they slammed it on his head as he came up the stairs. And as in dreams, things aren't rational and physical. I could see inside the helmet. Blades came from the inside of the helmet, went into his head, and turned on like a blender, and it blended his brain. And he turned around and walked off with a smile on his face, never knew anything had happened. And, and that was my dream. The couple was giddy. They were so excited. They had killed this man. He didn't physically die, but they had killed him. That was my dream. When I woke up, I, I just knew that I knew that I knew what it meant. And that is very rare. I don't understand my dreams. Again, most of my dreams are random nonsense. I'm not saying put stock in everything you dream. But I knew that I knew that that helmet was an idea. It was a lie that they had got him to believe and it had shredded his brain and he was looking through that lie out into the world. Everything he thought and everything he saw was colored by that lie now and he never knew any different. He just went on with the rest of his life, but he was dead. I knew it was a stronghold that Paul writes about, the strongholds on our mind. I've told you that dream twice before. In sermons, you can go online and listen. The title is Murderous Helmet, if you want to look that one up. And I've had some dreams of places that are unearthly, dreams that I've only told Sarah. But some of you have had dreams of something, maybe of heaven or of hell, or some of you have had a vision of the lost. Some of you have had a vision of a visitation of Jesus. Job says God comes to warn us in our dreams. Some of you have been warned and you didn't pick up on it. That's what Job 33 says. God warns you in dreams to save your life, but you're not paying attention. You just, either you didn't pick up on it or, or we're just uh, not sure what to do about it because we don't know how it makes any sense. Well, anything that corroborates the Bible is good. Anything that moves you toward God is from Him. It's not unclean or new age or demonic if it, results in you praising God and understanding Him better. Anything that stirs your heart to holiness, to worship, to joy, to pray, to be in obedience to Him is from Him. I've woken up from a solid sleep in unearthly worship. I was out of my mouth. I was singing and saying things I didn't understand and I felt in my heart something I've never felt before or since for God. Once in 44 years, I'm not saying this happens every week, and my spirit had been praising the Lord while I was asleep, and I don't know how or why. I didn't ask for it. I didn't do anything to deserve it. It just happened. I've woken up several times crying, harder than I ever cry in conscious life. Sometimes there's tears coming out of my eyes. Other times it's not. But I have that feeling in my eyes after you've cried when you're 
the good kind of really hard cry that's like cathartic and you, your eyes feel like they got windows washed. And I'll wake up with that feeling of having been crying, but I wasn't physically, but I was in love with God. Sometimes it's a brokenhearted feeling. Other times it's joyful. I've dreamed a few times of some really unearthly evil. I saw stuff like, God, I did not want to see that. Why did I have to see that? I did not, I did not want to see that, God. That was bad. And I wake up terrified. Um, and I have to pray until that passes. So what I have learned to do uh, for the last seven years, I've kept a journal. And it's about half um, scriptures and what God is talking to me through my devotional time or sermon prep. And then the other half is dreams that I write down, some of which I think I understand and others I don't, but I think they might be significant. I wake up in the morning like, I think I better write that one down. So a few years ago, I had a dream of we were on a beach, uh, and it was just Will and I, my son Will, who's 17, and he had, we were on a beach right on the water's edge, and he had a box, and he reached in the box, and he pulled out a sea snake, which is deadly venomous, and he was playing with it. And um, I kept telling him, put that thing down. Don't touch that. It will kill you. And in, in a cocky way, he's like, oh, Dad, I got this. It's all right. It's cool. And he kept playing with it, and it bit him on the arm, and I woke up. Is that a dream from God? That's not a, something I dream repeatedly. I, I think it was. I think it's a warning. But it bothered me to see my son get bit by a snake. But I can't panic and be illogical and irrational and run into life like, what are you playing with that you shouldn't be playing with? And I don't know. I don't know what the snake is in real life. What does it represent? I don't know. I've learned that when I dream things that I don't understand, I just have to go to God. It's like, God, you showed me that for a reason. You do what you need to do. I say amen. That's what I do. I have lots of dreams that I think might be significant, but I don't know. I don't understand them. So I just say, okay, God, if that was from you, amen, do your thing, God. If it wasn't, I won't remember it in two weeks anyway. That's, what, that's where I've landed. Like, I'm not going to make more out of this than it is. I'm not going to live in fear of my son getting bit by a snake. And I don't mean a natural physical snake. Okay? But I'm not going to live in fear of it, but God showed it to me for a reason, so I better pray. I don't blow it off. I better have my tuner tuned on. Okay, God showed me something. All right, God, protect my son. He's not going to listen to me anyway, That's which is not true. He listens great, but in the dream he wasn't. He wasn't listening to me. He was totally okay with... I got this, Dad. I got this. It's cool. No, it's not. Put it down. So I have some ideas on what that might be for a 17-year-old kid. There's some snakes that want to bite, boys. Hello? I don't know what it is, but I know God warned me. So I pray for my son. Lord, keep him from being bit. It's just an example of how I handle this thing. I keep a journal. I write these things down because I want to be in tune with the Spirit. Sometimes I go back and read things like, that still doesn't make sense five years later. And other times I, oh, okay, well, we'll just keep that before the Lord. So most of my dreams mean nothing, and I know that. But if one has significance, then I write it down, and sometimes I think I understand it, like the dream with the helmet. I, I think I, I knew what God wanted me to get out of that one. If I wake up understanding it, I wake up and I understand it. If I don't, I don't. I don't make more out of it than, than need be. Lord, thank you for 
your language to us. Thank you for your communion with us. Thank you that you have not left us alone to go through dead religion on our own, but you have put us in living communion with a living God and a living Savior. Thank you that you speak to us, that you want to be known and you want to know us. Lord, we want to be people who are not dull of hearing, but who hear your voice and see what your Spirit is doing so that we can obey you, so that we can actually be your servants, not just in word only, but in deed. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your Spirit by which you guide us and lead us into all truth, into your holiness into obedience and fruitfulness in our lives. Lord, forgive us for when we have blown off or missed what you have said to us, what you have revealed. Lord, thank you for your encouragement from your word that you are speaking. We turn on our faith and we turn on our ears to hear you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we bless your holy name. Amen.